1: Each weekday at this time, we open God's Word, exploring how it changes us and brings us closer to Him. Right now, we are in a message series called We Believe, focusing on the Gospel of John. All through this Gospel, John is driving us toward belief and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. We hope and pray that as a result of this series, you will see new faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. To hear all of the messages in this series, please visit groundedandgrowingradio.com. Would you please turn along with me in your Bibles to John chapter 5. To John chapter 5, we're going to be looking at that uh, chapter of the Bible. We're going to be looking at verse 1 through verse 29. John chapter 5, beginning at verse 1. Let's remember as we read this that this is God's word. After this, there was a feast of the Jews and Jesus went up to Jerusalem The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I'm going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, take your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It's the Sabbath, and it's not lawful for you to take up your bed. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered him, my father is working until now, and I am working. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment.
0: You've been listening to today's message from Pastor Derek Bukema. To learn more about Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, listen to past programs, and to give a gift to support our work preaching the Bible on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, visit us today at groundedandgrowingradio.com. And while you're there, please sign up to download your free copy of the ebook Answering 7 Hard Questions That Christians Ask. Again, that's groundedandgrowingradio.com.
1: And now, more from Pastor Derek in our series called We Believe, Focusing on the Gospel of John, we pray that as a result of this series, you will see new faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. One of the most beloved days when I was younger in school was uh, show and tell. I hope that that still goes on in school. My kids aren't quite old enough to experience that. I hope show and tell. I'm getting some nods, I think, from some of the teachers. Yeah, we still do show and tell. It's an important learning tool. On those days, someone would bring in something from home that was special to them and then tell the class about it. Or maybe you would bring something from your summer vacation that you had picked up on your summer vacation and then you'd tell the class about it. It was an effective learning and teaching strategy because you could see the object and then you could learn about the object. And today's passage gives us something like that. Jesus is Savior, Jesus is Lord, and Jesus is a faithful teacher, because in this section of scripture, he shows us, and then he tells us, Jesus does some show and tell, and he uses this effective teaching method to get at an important truth that should change our lives, the fact that Jesus is God. So we should both see what Jesus does and understand what that tells us, and then we should hear what he says so that we can understand what he's saying to us. That Jesus is God. That he's equal with the Father. And because of all of that, he is able to save from death. He's able to save from judgment. And so you and I should trust in him and follow him. We should direct our whole lives based upon who he is. And so we're going to have two points this morning. The first is show. The second is tell. So let's jump into it. And then just you know, to sort of give away the conclusion here a little bit. I'm not going to give you away all of it, but then there's this one editorial comment that sort of explains it all so that we can't miss it. And we're going to turn to that also. That's going to be our conclusion. So first, show. So there was a man who would lay by the pool here in Bethesda. There are a few things happening here. Apparently, there was a belief among the people at the time that each day an angel would come and stir up the waters here of this pool of Bethesda. And the belief was then the first person to enter into the water after it had been stirred up uh, would be healed. So one person a day could be healed by this. There's a biblical commentator that I love and appreciate and trust named D.A. Carson who writes about this. He says that this pool was fed by two different streams that were kind of intermittent. So that would mean that usually at one point in the day, the pool would start to swirl. Because these uh, these streams would sort of start up and flow into the pool and the pool would begin to swirl. There was also uh, in in history kind of some talk about the fact that the content of this pool was red. It was a red pool made red because of some of the earth and minerals that were a part of all of it. And the redness of the pool spoke to the people that perhaps this had medicinal or healing properties. It was for the healing of ailments. And so people would come from all around to try to sit by the pool to experience the healing of the red minerals in this water to try to be the first one into the water water after it would start swirling. And this man, who was not able to walk, who was paralyzed, this man had been laying there for 38 years. And Jesus saw him laying there, and he knows of the years that this man has been on the ground by the side of this pool. He knows that this man's been lying there longer than Jesus Christ, the God-man, had been alive on earth. But obviously much shorter than Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, had been. And so Jesus knows of this person's illness, his paralysis, his inability. And he asks a question, the answer of which probably seems very obvious to us right at the very beginning. Do you want to be healed, he asks this man. And the response is, well, you think, of course I want to be healed, right? I mean, that's the whole goal of my life is to be healed. That's what I'm doing every day is coming here so that I can experience healing. Healing is the thing that I want more than anything else in the world. But think about the reality, the challenging reality of that question. If this man is healed, everything that he knows about life is going to change, Every part of his life has been directed towards being healed. And in fact, every part of each day is directed towards that end. He gets brought to this pool. He sits there. He gets brought home. If he's healed, his entire life is going to change. The people he hangs around is going to change. If you're healed, everything that you have known will be gone. That's fearful, really, in a lot of ways. Do you want to be healed? I was talking to a prison chaplain some years back, and he talked about how the men that he works with direct their whole lives towards wanting to get out. Some are serving long sentences, 20, 30, maybe even 38 years. And their lives are oriented towards leaving this place, towards leaving prison. And yet, and yet, when they get out, this prison chaplain said a lot of times they'll commit a crime so that they can come back in. And they realize that the thing that they've been hoping for and then having it and it not solving the problems that exist is crushing, recognizing freedom, realizing it, and recognizing that you don't know how to live in that environment can be crushing. Do you want to be healed? If you're healed, everything's going to be changed, I think sometimes we say that we want to be healed, and yet we simply want to continue living the way that we have been living, free of the consequences we've been experiencing for living that way. If Jesus comes to us and says, do you want to be healed, is the answer legitimately yes, with the kind of healing that might completely change and redirect my life. Do you want to be healed? Do you want that sort of healing? Everything changes if you're healed. Because Jesus heals the man and then he illustrates what he's talking about. The kind of life transformation and life change that should result from healing. We've got to pay attention here because he not only heals but then talks about the kind of healing that comes from what ultimately ails us. Do you really want to be healed? Jesus heals this man. And at once the man takes up his bed and starts to walk. He's completely restored. 38 years he lacked the ability to walk, and it all disappears at the voice of Jesus. All Jesus has to say is, Get up and walk, and the inability to do so is gone. No power, no impediment can hold back the power of the voice of Jesus. This man's paralysis can't hold it back. Jesus says, Walk, and the paralysis is gone. And the man gets up and walks. And the crazy thing is he doesn't even know who healed him. He doesn't even know who's been speaking to him. And in fact, he's asked about that. And he's like, I don't know who, heals, who healed me. I don't know. I'm not aware of it. And some of the Jews find him. Some of the religious leaders find him. And instead of rejoicing in this miraculous healing, they're immediately like, Hey man, it's not lawful for you to pick up a bed on the Sabbath, man. I know it's been 38 years. You should still be down there right now. This is the Sabbath, don't you understand? Now this strikes me as, what would be the theologically correct way to put it? Crazy. This strikes me as crazy. I mean, this man just experienced an incredible work of God that led to him after 38 years of not being able to walk, to be able to get up and walk. This is an extraordinary act of God. This is an act of restoration. This is something only God could do. And the response of the ruling, you know, religious leaders is, hey, uh, sit back down, okay? It's the Sabbath. Don't pick up your bed. Don't pick up your bed. Isn't that often the way of things, though? It sounds crazy because it is, but I mean, it's frankly oftentimes the way that we operate. We miss the big, important things because we're trying to protect a lesser good. You know, it was good. It was good that the religious leaders wanted the people of Israel to honor the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. That's a command of God. But you see, in order to try to preserve that reality, they surrounded it with all manner of laws and restrictions to try to preserve this command. They created all of these human inventions. All right, so that means don't pick up your mat. It's like, maybe I've said this before, it's like I talked to uh, someone when I was in college and he said, growing up, I was allowed to, on Sunday, I was allowed to throw a baseball, but I couldn't throw it hard (laughs) because that would be breaking the Sabbath. I could play catch with my dad, but it had to be thrown softly. You know, that's, that's a human restriction that's added to try to preserve the law. And it's the way of things where we'll add these restrictions in an effort to try to preserve something that's good. But it misses the whole point. It misses out on the greater good. I can give so many examples of this. But the human tendency is to miss out on the great good that God is doing by being fixated on a lesser, oftentimes human invented particular or rule of procedure that would make it so that, hey, pause for a second. We can't do this. We can't do that. It's Reformation Day today. I'm so thankful for the Reformation. I love the study of it. I love thinking about it. I love the life of Martin Luther. I love reading histories of all of that. I'm so grateful for the courage that God gave him. That when he was at the diet of worms, I know that's not a weird diet. That is like this council where he was asked to renounce what it was that he had been teaching. He said, here I stand. I can do no other. So help me, God. That is courage courage and it's beautiful. And yeah, I was discouraged because uh, about 10 years back, I was, uh, I was listening to a friend. I was in a group of people. I was in seminary and he was talking about how he had been praying for his mom to become a Christian. He had come to faith in college and his mom had never been a Christian. And he had prayed and he said every day he had prayed. And he said then, he said, it just so happened that, that she came across A priest, a Catholic priest who had shared the gospel with her and she had believed and she had become baptized and she had professed faith in the Lord Jesus Christ alone. And he told the story. He was very moved by the fact that God had answered his prayers and that his mom had become a Christian. And then one person in the circle goes, man, it sucks that your mom's a part of a false church. I was really discouraged by that. I thought, can we just for a moment, can we just for a moment. Be glad. There are many, 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 many examples of God at work that we might be like, now pause for a second. That goes against this. That goes against this rule of procedure. And so it's not at all surprising that this man gets up and they're like, hey, you're not supposed to pick up your bed on the Sabbath. And Jesus finds the man and he and he speaks to him, he reveals who he is, and he says, See, you are well. Sin no more so that nothing worse may happen to you. And what Jesus is doing here is showing that sin is much more damaging than a lifelong inability to walk. This sickness, this disability that was healed after an entire Life is not as serious as sin, and it's not as serious as the consequences of sin. Do we realize that? We need to take some time to realize that today because of what this text of scripture is proclaiming to us. Do we realize that the most harmful thing that could happen to us is our own sin? You know, sin always brings death. Sin always tugs along its best friend, death. It did at the very beginning, their best friends. Sin brings real physical death, but sin also will bring death to your own relationship. Sin will bring death to your own life in a myriad of different ways. The consequences of sin are so serious. And so Jesus, such a gracious savior and healer, comes back to this man who didn't even realize that Jesus had healed him and tells him that there is deeper healing there for him. There is the healing of righteousness. There's the healing of righteousness. And this is far more wonderful than even physical healing. Don't sin, Jesus says. Sin no more. And this speaks to us about the kind of life change that that a healing from Jesus should bring to us. When Jesus comes and Jesus brings healing to us, when Jesus comes and Jesus brings salvation, when Jesus comes and brings freedom from sin, Jesus expects for there to be a life change. Jesus is not proclaiming here a cheap sort of gospel, but Jesus expects that once we have been healed, that we turn from our sin and we follow after Jesus in obedience and in love. One of the problems that can sometimes happen is is that we we preach a cheap grace. Grace is free, but it's not cheap. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says that, that grace justifies the sinner, sets free the sinner, frees the sinner from judgment, but that a cheap grace justifies the sin. A cheap grace says, yeah, well, it wasn't that big of a deal anyway. Jesus at no time ever is preaching a cheap grace as he preaches free grace. He's healed this man, not because of anything that he's done. And he comes to him and he says, don't sin anymore. Jesus expects that receiving his miracles and his salvation, that it will change your life. And we should desire not only this freedom from sin that gets us, that gets us to be moved from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. But then we should expect that that we should continue to desire God's grace so that we might be genuinely free from those patterns of behavior that characterize us before we trust in Jesus. We should want the kind of life transformation that comes from trusting in the Lord Jesus, a life change. And he also, Jesus expects that we will see what he is doing through this miracle. Here is the show. He's showing us... By his healing, by his call to holiness, by him doing it on the Sabbath, he's showing us that he is God. Not only because he has the power to reverse what sin has taken away through the healing of this man's paralysis... Not only because of his call to righteousness, but also because he does it on the Sabbath. And he ties his work on the Sabbath to the work of his father. He says, my father is always working, so I'm going to join him in that. Jesus is showing us that he is God. What he's going to do next is tell us the same thing. Jesus demonstrates his authority in the heading of this uh, last part of the text that we have in front of us this morning is the authority of the son. It's a good heading put in by the editors of the English Standard Version. He says that he receives his authority from the father and that he is the son of God. Israel this time considered itself to be the son of God, but Jesus applies it to himself specifically. He says that he is the son of God. And then specifically, he says, all the things that the Father is able to do, I am able to do. He's tying the authority of the Father to his own authority. He's tying the things that the Father is able to do to that which he is able to do. And the thing that Jesus really zeros in on here in this section of scripture is that he is able to save from death. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Verse 21, as the father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the son gives life to whom he will. Verse 24, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He's passed from death to life. Verse 25, truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the son of God and those who hear it will live. And at the very end, John chapter five, verses 28 and 29, he says, do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all those who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Jesus, he tells us now, is not only able to save from disability, Jesus is able to save from death. That is awesome. That is awesome. Jesus has just performed a miracle just by speaking, just by speaking. The paralysis of this man is gone. And what Jesus says here, what he tells us here, is that this hour is coming. It's actually here with Jesus' life. It's present. And this hour is coming and it's here. And that hour is that Jesus is going to speak a word and death itself is going to die. That's amazing. That is beautiful. There's no power that's able to prevent our God from working. And the beautiful truth that Jesus is giving to us in John chapter five is that when Jesus says, come alive, death dies and releases its grip. That is amazing. I'm so thankful that this is true about our Savior and our Lord and our God.
0: This is Pastor Derek Bukema,
1: and on behalf of Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, we want to thank you for your support and partnership in proclaiming the gospel here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. If you're looking for a local church to call home, Orland Park Christian Reformed Church welcomes you to worship with us this Sunday. You can find all the details online at groundedandgrowingradio.com. Thanks again for joining us, and until next time, may God bless you.